It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think you're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Joe Burrow, Dan Patrick, remains in the national chatter today. We'll catch you up on the latest there. And then we've got a special guest from Roto World and Football Outsiders. He specializes in QBs. His name is Derek Klassen. He'll be joining us for at least a second segment, probably the third segment as well. He has done some detailed charting of all the college quarterback prospects, so we'll get his thoughts on Joe Burrow, we'll probably talk a little bit about Justin Herbert and Tua Tunga Viola too, just because we're going to talk about quarterbacks. We got the quarterback guy. But first, let's get into these latest former Bengals, media members, what have you, talking about Joe Burrow and all this speculation that really doesn't matter at all, but it's what people are talking about. So let's just get into it. It stays in the news, Joe. Dan Patrick today has on. Dave Parker from the Cincinnati Inquirer to talk about his comments from yesterday's Dan Patrick show. Dan Patrick is the one really driving this, right? You get comments from Paul Daner Jr. today. And then we have a text to Fox 19's Jeremy Rao from Jimmy Burrow, Joe's dad, saying he's not sure where this information is coming from that Joe might not want to go number one. We, being the Burrow family, are excited. Joe has put himself in a position to be considered a high possible draft choice and it feels like we've gone through this cycle before right it was speculation about two or three weeks ago and then jimmy burrow coming out and saying oh no they'd love to you know travel two and a half hours to go see his son play in cincinnati and then now we don't know if that's coming if he is he speaking for joe burrow is he speaking on on behalf of him or is he just speaking as a father himself which i guess could be a mix of all that because joe burrow really can't say right now oh, yeah, I want to go to the Bengals and Bengals only, number one. I'm happy to be there, yada, yada, uh, because it's not we're not at that step yet in the process. I think we're still a few weeks away at the very least until we get to the scouting combine to where the Bengals will formally meet with Joe Burrow in an NFL setting. And so, you know, from there we're spinning in circles. But I do think it was noteworthy that Hugh Jackson went on with Pat McAfee and said, yeah, the Bengals should take Joe Burrow, and he's going to change the landscape of the Cincinnati Bengals, really recognizing how good of a prospect this is. I believe he actually said it's the best he's seen a a college football player play quarterback in a long time and saying he was basically perfect throughout the year. That tells you what an NFL coach sees in Joe Burrow playing at LSU. For all of his 
pitfalls, I guess you could say. Hugh Jackson, excellent offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals, excellent position coach for the Cincinnati Bengals. He had some issues as a head coach in Cleveland, but honestly, who hasn't? That being said, speaking about organizational dysfunction is what all of these talking heads in the national media are getting at. And Solomon Wilcott today goes on CBS Sports Radio with Damon Amendolara today. And he's talking about Carson Palmer and his experience with Cincinnati, saying Carson Palmer was a guy who was strong-willed, talented, and he still needed more around him. He needed more support around him. He said he's behind Carson Palmer in his comments that he's recently made about the Bengals. And he says that he knows that he watched Carson's time in the Bengals organization suck the life out of him. And this is a guy that like Joe Burrows coming into the league with a boatload of confidence. Carson is on record of saying, I thought I could go in there and turn that franchise around. And I actually thought Solomon Wilcox would defend the Bengals a little bit. He's worked recently in the preseason games with them in 2019. Um, I think his comments are pretty damning, uh, to be honest. Uh, they're exactly what Carson Palmer has said, but seeing it from the outside perspective, even though he's a former player, by the time Carson Palmer was there, it was definitely from the outside. And to say he saw it wear down their number one pick, their franchise cornerstone player, uh, is saying a lot. And it's not any different than what we hear from a lot of people that leave the Bengals, go somewhere else, and experience other NFL lifestyles that the Bengals seem to be substandard in many ways. But, you know, I just think if we go too far with it, if we listen to it too much as fans, we start to feel a little um, personal about it, right? And it's really not that. It's about Mike Brown and the organization and how they're run. It doesn't always have to be this way, and it won't always be this way. But I think what they're saying is we should take a little bit of truth from it and be aware of the situation. Yeah, I mean, the fact that multiple people are saying the same thing. Willie Anderson, same thing, right? One guy isn't going to turn it all around. A quarterback has the biggest impact on the football field of any position. That is 100% true. But one guy cannot turn an entire team around. It has to start from the top. So you look at what Marvin Lewis had to do when he got to the Bengals. He had to rebuild the culture. Same thing Zach Taylor's done. Regardless of the culture, regardless of how good your quarterback is, and the quarterback makes a big difference in this, you have to go and surround him with a good team especially on the rookie deal. And that's what we were just talking about yesterday with the way the Chiefs built around Patrick Mahomes. They need to go out, spend their resources in free agency, in the draft, build this thing up around Joe Burrow, play to his strengths because they have a unique opportunity to build around a special talent. And it's just not the talent that goes around the quarterback. Even Carson Palmer has said this, and Andy Dalton had a lot of talent. I mean, look at 2013 through 15, one of the most talented teams in the league. You look at Carson Palmer's time, and they had a grade A offensive line with Pro Bowl receivers and and a franchise leader running, running back, Rudy Johnson. There was talent around these guys. It's not that. I don't think that that's only part of the equation, right? It, Carson Palmer has talked about a top-down People, decision makers, a franchise that is committed solely to winning football games and the Super Bowl, it's a different feeling. And even you bring up Willie Anderson, when he said he went to the Ravens, he doesn't really articulate it as good, but he says it's just different. The feeling is just different. Everything they do is about winning and everything they do is about, you know, putting the best team on the field and just their focus is is completely different than what the Bengals are. And I think that's part of it. It's not just... Um, you know, putting the talent and putting the pieces out there because Bengals have had some success doing that. It's about uh, having the drive and commitment to being the best possible football team you can be. 
And we'll see if the Bengals are able to do that around Joe Burrow. We've talked a lot in the last week alone about various things they can do to get there with a new franchise quarterback from Anthony Triash's arguments on pro football focus about what they need to do to change the offense and fill in the other holes on the team to looking at some of the Super Bowl teams, well, the two Super Bowl teams this year to see what they did to get there and things, the the lessons the Bengals can learn from that. But coming up, we've got... Derek Klassen, QB guy, QB class on Twitter. He writes for Roto World, and we're going to be talking about a couple of his pieces up on Roto World. He's got best quarterback fits, and he's got quantifying quarterbacks, which is a series he does based on his quarterback charting. And we're going to talk about Joe Burrow because, hey, it's that time of year. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you've been a listener of the Lockdown Bengals podcast, you've heard the great advertisers like Abco Safety, Tourism Arizona, and the Epic Hotel down in Miami who have worked with us to reach Bengals fans. We are a great way for you to reach out and get in touch with local podcast listeners. Our local Lockdown podcast listeners, predominantly a male audience, well-educated, and most importantly, They have disposable income money to spend. So if you want to connect with Bengals fans to come make some purchases from your local business, we have an opportunity right now for you. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockdownPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On Advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. All right, so we got Derek Klass in here. He does a film room in the Almanac for Football Outsiders. He covers college football for Roto World's draft department. And I love this part of your, your Twitter bio, Derek. The New York Giants drafted Daniel Jones at sixth overall. You take that personally, huh? Uh, I just I, I just feel a you know a personal burden to remind people that uh, an organization did something that stupid. Yeah. <laughs> remember Dave, we laughed, Jake. What's that? Do you remember when we laughed when they picked him? Oh yeah, that's true. We were recording live uh, during the draft last year for for this podcast, and we were streaming it, and and we were like, oh, the the Giants aren't actually going to pick Daniel Jones here, and then they did, and we lost our shit. For a good, what, five minutes of the show just talking about what the fuck are they doing? Well, part of it was that we were celebrating because we had a countdown of eight guys. We needed three people to go before pick 11 so that we knew we'd get one of them, and it was Jonah Williams. That's the way it went. So, Derek, over on Roto World, you've put up a couple articles in the last week, week plus, that are of great interest to us as Bengals fans. The first one let's talk about on... January 28th, and you can tell us a little bit about your process for this too and and what the genesis of this project was, but you've been doing this quantifying quarterbacks project, and how how long have you been doing it? Let's start there. 
Uh, you know, I want to say the first year I did it was in 2016. Uh, I, I At least that's as far back as I can find all of my charting. Um, because it, it was the class with, uh, you know, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Paxton Lynch. It, it was that class. So I've been doing it since then. And um, it's I, I've developed it a little bit over the years. But for the most part, like the general shell is the same. And I fill out probably like 20 or so different boxes um, for each play, just kind of depending on, you know, what information is pertinent or not. Um, and that comes down that that even goes down to like what hash they're throwing from. Uh, you know, down in distances, uh, whether they're backed up in their own red zone, whether they're in the enemy red zone, whether they're just in neutral part of the field. So uh, I, I try to go into as much detail as I can with it. And with this project, would you say that, so let's go back to 2016, right? And talk through the years. You've done it now for 16, 17, 18, 19, four years of draft classes that we've seen these guys graduate to the NFL have you found that there is a lot of translation? What are the biggest takeaways for you, the most predictive things or the things that you've seen? Oh, this isn't really translating. I need to refine the way that I approach or use this data that I've gathered. So I think, at least as far as I have right now, the most reliable point of data I have, both in terms of like predicting anything and just in terms of the data being consistent over the years because I've kind of in some areas tweaked my process to try to get um, either better or more information that I can. So maybe there's some things in 2018 that I was charting that I wasn't necessarily charting in 2016. So it's kind of hard to pull from the samples because it's not as large, but at least in terms of uh, like raw accuracy, I've, I've, you know, adjusted my accuracy the same throughout the year. So I think that's, that's probably the most consistent part that I have. Um, and that's probably the most predictive. And I, it's not predictive in the sense that if you are, you know, the third best I've ever had in my database or whatever, that you're going to be a star. I, it, it's not necessarily that if you're super accurate all the time that you're going to be great. But it's more so that there's kind of a bar that if you can't hit it, you're probably bad. And that bar is around like 65% uh, adjusted accuracy. And if you can't, clear that bar it's it's very rare at least in my database that you're going to be um any good like the best examples of guys who were under that and have have been good is probably like you know Jacoby Brissett has had some success Josh Allen you can argue has had some success um Dak Prescott was just over 65 percent and he's obviously been pretty good um Patrick Mahomes was around 67 percent he's been pretty good so um, it's really nobody that's under 65%. So that's probably the most predictive point of data I have right now. So would you say accuracy is your number one, maybe your number one data point, but also with your eyes when you watch on film, would you say accuracy above all, or how do you start to you know rank the attributes for a quarterback? It, yes and no, because, I mean, obviously you, you want any quarterback to show the ability that, you know, he, he can put passes where they need to be. But I think a lot of accuracy also comes down to whether you're doing a lot of the right things before you end up even throwing the ball. Um, and I think that can be a problem for uh, uh, many a different quarterbacks. Like, um, I think that was kind of the problem, at least for me, with Dak Prescott uh, at Mississippi State was like I, I didn't feel like his process was all that good. And he was a decently accurate thrower. Um, but I didn't feel like his process was all that good. And I think that kind of slipped into his 
uh, ability to throw accurate passes. Nathan Peterman is another example. I think if you just stick Nathan Peterman in a clean pocket, he's he, he's plenty accurate for an NFL quarterback. It's just everything that he's doing up until then is such a disaster that he's not actually getting himself into points where he can throw accurate passes. And so um, I, I think it's not so much, you know, the the sheer ball placement. It's it's, you know, some of the things that can lead to your accuracy score that I think are important. Um, and for example, because my adjusted accuracy score is um, depth adjusted, uh, if you're, say, you know, maybe just average throwing in the one to 10 yard area, but you're an absolute killer in the intermediate to deep area, you're adjusted accuracy score is going to be significantly higher than your, you know, raw completion percentage or your raw accuracy score. So um, I think things like that can can kind of change uh, the way that it's, you know, the way that it comes out. So let's shift gears here and talk a little bit more specifically about what you found with Joe Burrow. I've I've read this piece. This is over on Roto World, quantifying quarterbacks, LSU quarterback Joe Burrow. You can go search that on Google or probably find it somewhere in Derek's tweet history on his timeline. But the biggest thing that stands out to me, adjusted accuracy we're just talking about, has to be 65 or better overall, right? And for for Burrow, it's at 78.43%. But I feel like one of the things that you pointed out as a potential hole in the game was that there aren't all these designed rollouts, right? And so the, the adjusted accuracy outside the pocket and this was surprising to me, is not as high as you would like to see. Am I remembering that correctly? And so the reason that's surprising to me is because I thought he's he's great at extending plays and, and improvising, and that's something that I would say is a strength from, from just a film perspective. Well, no, I think I agree. I think it was uh, more so that rollouts just weren't a part of his game, and that wasn't necessarily a criticism. It was more of like, this just isn't something LSU happened to do. And I think he's probably plenty capable of it. I mean, he's he's a good athlete, um, so he can move outside the pocket fairly well. And I think he throws very comfortably when he's on the move, so I actually don't think that's that much of an issue. Um, his adjusted accuracy outside of the pocket was just over 60%, which by no means is elite. It's it's plenty good. Like, that's well over the bar for at least, um, you know, some of the recent data that I have. But... Um, I think what's interesting is that since almost none of his outside the pocket throws were designed, you know, by rollouts and stuff, that means that pretty much all of his outside the pocket plays were he was either forced out of the pocket for whatever reason or he, you know, saw that a play was already broken and maybe the pocket wasn't broken yet, but he just needed to move. So pretty much all of those plays were off script. And I think the fact that he could still be you know, at least above average in terms of accuracy when almost all of those are broken plays, I think is is fairly impressive to me. Derek, you mentioned how, you know, you got to do so much for a quarterback to be successful before he even throws the ball. When I watch Joe Burrow, I think that's obviously where he wins. I mean, not just um, pre-snap and then recognizing post-snap, but moving defenders with his eyes so often, uh, coming to his third, second, third read, moving in the pocket, navigating the pocket to find a clean platform. Uh, do you agree with that? I mean, when I watch it, I think like, man, that's what's going to make him elite. Oh, absolutely. I think it, it, there's areas of, of Joe Burrow's game that I don't think are you know necessarily special. Like He's obviously not the best athlete. He doesn't have the greatest arm, but in terms of just pure processing and the and the way that he sees the field and the way that he understands the position, 
I think he has to be up there with with some of the best I've ever seen. I think Teddy Bridgewater was another one that I really loved in that area. Um, Last year, I I really liked Dwayne Haskins for a lot of those reasons. Um, And I I actually didn't scout back to the Andrew Luck class. I wasn't, you know, doing this kind of work at the time. But I've gone back to look at Andrew Luck at Stanford. And I think you can kind of see a lot of those same mental strengths uh, in Joe Burrow's game. And I think you're right. Like Joe Burrow does. It's not just that. You know, he's not throwing directly at linebackers and making silly mistakes or anything like that. He really doesn't do any of that. It's just that it seems like in his play, there is such a ridiculous rate of like if you're watching the film and say, you know, you pause a play one and a half seconds in and you can say, OK, this guy's going to be open. You know, with 100 percent certainty that Joe Burrow also knows that and he's going to hit it. Whereas I think yeah. with a lot of other quarterbacks, you might have, you know, 90 percent uh you know certainty even for really good quarterbacks but they might have some of these misses it it just doesn't seem like joe burrow has those lapses in his game um and if he does they're just they're incredibly rare yeah i think that that is a great point and it's funny that you mentioned andrew luck when you talk about the way he processes because just today i think matt miller from bleacher report put put a list of his qb comparisons on Twitter and I was very surprised to see and this is stylistically not necessarily all the strength and weaknesses but he has Andrew Luck as a comp for for Burrow and I think there are some pretty significant differences right in arm strength there that that differentiate those guys but maybe in terms of style and and processing there's enough to to draw that comparison let's touch on one last note though from your quantifying quarterbacks piece and and that's the third and fourth down conversion rate that is the one thing here where you say this isn't very good. This is, you know, worse than Tyree Jackson, Brett Rippey, and Will Greer last year. So what what do we take away from this? Is is this a sample size issue potentially, or is this something that that is a little bit deeper than that? Um, see, that's a great question because that's something I actually want to go back now and look more into. Like when I was going through my initial um, you know, study and charting of, of Joe Burrow, it didn't feel like in the moment that he had issues on third down. And I don't think he's necessarily terrible um, on third downs or anything. I don't like his conversion rate isn't bad. It's just not impressive in any way. Um, and so when an issue like this comes up where I didn't have this concern at all in my mind when I was, you know, when I was watching him, I I think you could say maybe like, okay, he doesn't have a great arm. So maybe on third and longs he's going to struggle. But I think in an overall general sense, I wasn't really worried. And so I think the value in the charting is actually that when it's all said and done, something like this crops up and I can be like, okay, well, this is not a concern I had at the time, but now maybe I can go back and maybe it'll change the way that I look at Burrow. So I actually want to end up doing like a cut, like a cut up of, you know, all of his third downs or maybe just, you know, third and five or more in specific just to see like what exactly went wrong in these situations where he's not playing up to the same level that he does on a lot of the standard downs. And Derek, you've got something else out right now with some perfect landing spots or ideal landing spots for these draft eligible quarterbacks coming up. Uh, We want to get to that right after this next break. Want to go see your Cincinnati Reds this spring during spring training? Well, Arizona is a great place to go. Not only see baseball, but to see everything else. And if you go down there and go down for the Cactus League, they've got 
10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, 75 degree temperatures. All 10 stadiums are in the greater Phoenix area within 50 miles. Yeah, you can go down and see your Reds in Goodyear Park down there. Or maybe, we've talked about it before, you're into the craft beer. They've got Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, Goldwater Brewing Company, all known for great beer. Or maybe you're into hiking. Maybe you want to get out in the desert for the numerous national parks down there. Go up to the Grand Canyon. And if you do the canyon, make sure you bring enough water because it's the way back. Unlike most hikes, that's challenging. It's easy going down, hard coming up. Kind of the opposite of the Bengals. We had a hard time with this bad year, and we're going to come up next year. So go on down to Arizona. Take yourself a little spring break. Plan your getaway at visitarizona.com slash springtraining. Hey guys, it's Joe Marino. Being around sports media and a fan of the Buffalo Bills for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes... It's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former SportsCenter anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, and new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. We're here with Derek Klassen, QB Class, one of my favorite follows on Twitter in, ter- and in terms of uh, quarterback evaluation. Derek, I, s- I feel like we're typically on the same page, and that's why I haven't blocked you yet, even though uh, <laughs> – no. But you've got another piece out here with the quarterback prospects from this class and who you think are ideal fits. Jake alluded to it earlier. You've got Justin Herbert as a good fit for the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm going to start there. Why did you pick Herbert and the Bengals? So – Guys like Justin Herbert, I, I think the comparison um, for Justin Herbert is I think Ryan Tannehill is like pretty apt. Um, he's mostly a good athlete. He has an incredibly strong arm. I think he excels at play action um, for a few reasons. One, because um, he has a strong arm to throw like, you know, those 11 plus yard throws. Um, and he's not afraid to throw like a deep over uh, into a closing window or anything like that. So I think he's perfect for a lot of these play action um, offenses. And I don't particularly love his work in a lot of other areas. Like when he has to do like a lot of standard dropback stuff, I have a little bit of issues uh, with him. Um, some of his quick game, even though um, I think he can actually be fairly accurate in those areas, I think sometimes he will wait too long on stuff and, and he won't pull the trigger when he needs to. So I, I think having a system that kind of caters to a lot of this, um, you know, play action stuff and kind of focuses on that. I think is really the ideal fit for him. I think he kind of needs, I think training wheels is a little bit of like an extreme uh, analogy, but I think when you watch guys, you know, like Jimmy Garoppolo or Ryan Tannehill, I think that's kind of what's going on. And I think Herbert is going to need that if he wants to be in his absolute best fit in an offense. 
It's interesting that you mentioned the play action stuff because I think that Joe and I are of the opinion that the Bengals didn't use enough play action and that was the one thing that didn't come over from Sean Sean McVay's offense as much as we expected it to. Anthony Triash also wrote a really interesting piece on PFF that we talked about on this podcast earlier today and yesterday and he's kind of going through these are the things that the Bengals should do that really seem to help Joe Burrow at LSU and he's talking about more RPOs more play action, more deep shots, continue to play to Burrow's strengths of throwing horizontal lead passes. And and some of those elements are already there. But it was interesting that the Bengals were below average. To me, it was interesting, below average in play action passing. And I'm wondering if that is more a symptom of the quarterback that they have playing there or if that was a necessity because of the offensive line or, or what that was because everything that we're told about play action is that it helps pass blocking and it helps your quarterback. So... That is a little bit of a paradox. Then you go on to say Joe Burrow is a quarterback in this class that transcends scheme. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so I think at least in you know with respect to Joe Burrow, I think there are a few things that a quarterback can do that kind of makes them immune to uh, needing a particular type of scheme. And I think with Joe Burrow specifically, it's his accuracy is absolutely insane. I don't think there's like any part of the field um at least in my charting there really wasn't any part of the field where i'm thinking oh man an offense is really going to need to like hold him back from doing this um and you know maybe he's not the most fantastic deep passer but i don't think by any means he's kind of i don't think you're going to need to like rein him in and stop him from doing that i think he's going to be just fine um and so his accuracy i think kind of makes him immune to anything i think the way that he manages the pocket i think kind of makes him able to to fit into any system whether that's a quick pass offense where he might need to make subtle adjustments on the you know right when the ball hits his hands or maybe that's he's taking a five-step drop um out of gun and he's needing to make different uh changes like that or maybe he's taking seven step uh, on a deep play action he's you know having to manage the pocket that way i don't think there's any kind of pocket that he can't handle and i think he's proven that he has such a good understanding of when to move and and how to move that um I don't think you even have to cater the offense in any way um, around that. Um, and I think just the way that he's proven he can read the field, I don't think it's like, oh, man, you, you absolutely have to, you know, craft a quick game offense for him or you have to, you know, do play action for him. And I think he's he's great at play action. And if you can do more of that, that's probably good. Like, this isn't to say that there aren't certain things that Burrow is better at than others. I just think that he's so good at a few of these baseline traits that it really doesn't matter what you're throwing him into. I want to ask about Tua Tungvaloa. If he was healthy, um, what, what did you feel about him? And would it be more of a conversation at number one if he was healthy? I think it probably would be. Um, not necessarily for me, but I think like just in general. Um, and, and this actually, at least for me, this doesn't really have anything to do with like the quality of prospect I think Tua is I think Burrow is just fantastic and and really aside from maybe making the the one year you know superstar um, argument or the arm strength thing which personally I don't think the arm strength is an issue like really outside of those two things I think it's really hard to you know poke holes in Joe Burrow's game where um, whereas with Tua I kind of have some more concerns and I feel like his game is a little bit more um, it's a little bit duller to me and that's not necessarily like I think he's bad. It's just that for whatever reason, Tua's game just doesn't excite me. Like I think he actually reads the field fairly well. 
Um, I think he still has some issues where he will force throws over the middle that he just ought not be be throwing. Um, I think that's a little bit Garoppolo-esque. I don't think he's quite that bad, but I think it's that similar kind of kind of issue. Um, and I just think that the way that he handles pressure, I think, is sometimes still questionable to me, particularly from the pocket. I think if he can get outside the pocket, he's shown that he's you know, great at creating outside of there. But I think just standing you know, directly within that tackle box, I, I really worry about the way that he handles pressure. Um, particularly if he like can't move at all and he has to throw with a body, you know, hitting him in the chest. I don't think that that's where he wins. And so just a few of those things I have that kind of create a clear tier between him and Burrow for me. Um, and so I don't think the hip alone would, you know, thrust him back up into that tier. But I think if he was healthier, you know, I think if we knew that this wasn't going to be an issue for him, that I think I would, you know, totally understand people wanting to take Tua over Burrow. I think that is a pretty interesting point that I think you're probably the lowest on Tua injury aside of anyone I've talked to thus far, uh, which is fine. I'm not I knocking I just it. talk about him lower than I actually am on him, which is, I don't really understand how, how to explain that dynamic. I still think he's like a top 10 pick. Like I would still take him with one. Yeah. Um, I just don't know if he's special. Well, so let's talk about, you've done this now for, we said four or five years if you were going to say my top five quarterbacks since I've been doing this in my evaluation process in the last five years, what would they be? Um, can you rank them on the spot? Big pressure. Uh, <laughs> let's see if I can try. Um, let's see. 2019 was, I don't think any of those guys, um, just off the top of my head, probably like Lamar Jack. This is not in any order. This is maybe just like a rough, you know, top five or six. Um, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Deshaun Watson, um, Deshaun Kaiser, unfortunately, um, Teddy Bridgewater, and Jameis Winston. Those are those are the guys who I can think of at least where I thought that they were clearly the the, the upper echelon of their class. Um, and so I, I don't know exactly how I would stack those guys up, but I think that that's probably like the top ish tier for me. So where would you slide Burrow in against those guys? I think if I sat down and thought about it, I, I, I would have a hard time not having him in the top three or so, I would imagine. Um, I think I might have had like... Man, it's tough. Because I don't Cause... think there's any of these guys that I listed where I like very clearly think that they're better than Burrow. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I was also with you very high on Teddy. And, like, I've looked at my grade on Teddy and, and looked at what I have a rough one for Joe Burrow right now, and I'm like, whew, those are actually pretty close there. And I I had Teddy as a top-two player in that class. I think they're pretty similar players, too, or at, least, or at least they have, like, a lot of the same general, you know, strengths and weaknesses. Um, uh, I think Burrow is probably a better creator, like, outside of the pocket, mm-hmm. but I think um, – I think generally they're like pretty close tier of prospects, yeah. So there you have it. That is Derek Klassen giving you his top, what what we get, six quarterbacks in the last five years. And Jameis Winston, man, I, I must be remembering a totally different player because I just, I feel like I was not ever that excited for Jameis Winston and I was really concerned about those interceptions. But hey, I clearly was a minority there. I think that a lot of people had him hiding up first. So, so who am I to say that I was right? 
Well, he might not get paid, so maybe you were. <laughs> <laughs> but I got Johnny Manziel very, very wrong. Derek and I, we had our first interaction, I think, in, in the Johnny Manziel draft class. And I thought Johnny Manziel was, man, I thought he was special. I thought he was a great creator. I knew nothing about his personality, but I thought on the football field it was going to work. It didn't work out for me there. So turns out uh, none of us can be 100% all the time. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Hope you enjoyed this deep dive into some of the data that Derek has collected over on Roto World. You can check it out and some of his evaluations and work for the last five years. Really like what he does. Find him on Twitter at QB Class with a K, K L A S S. And go check out his work on Roto World and Football Outsiders. Tomorrow we're back with the mailbag, so get your questions ready. We'll get back into that as we always do for the weekend. And until then, Bengals fans. Have a good one. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.